everyone, and Happy New Year 2024. Welcome to the brand new season of For the Love of Books podcast featuring Indian small press authors with host author Emma Polova. I would like to thank our major sponsor, Doc Chavant. Today, I will be chatting with author Pam Withrow, who will announce the details of her book giveaway of Madam Warden at the end of the interview. Pam Withrow was an Indiana farm girl transplanted to Michigan after a teen marriage and a stint on welfare. She graduated from college and began work with the Michigan Department of Corrections. Within seven years, she was named the first woman to head a prison for men in Michigan, the Michigan Dunes Correctional Facility. After that, she worked as the warden at the Michigan Reformatory in Ionia for 15 years. Hello, Pam, how are you on this snowy day? I'm great, thank you. Okay, let's start off with a quote from Melvin Williams, Executive Director of North American Association of Wardens and Superintendents. This is a powerful book written by a pioneer in modern correctional administration. Her journey is filled with adventure, victories, personal sacrifice, and stories of innovation. So tell us, Madam Warden, <laughs> what prompted you to write this? Well, actually, it, it came about because my husband said, you need to write a book about what it was like to be the first woman to be a warden of a male prison in Michigan. Oh, yes, absolutely. And this is not your first book. How did the twist from writing an autobiography to memoir come about? From Mission Point Press, which uh, helped me with mm -hmm. my first book, Welfare to Warden, um, said, we think there's a memoir here, and we uh -huh. think you can sell it if you're willing to do the work to produce it. So okay. I thought, it was during COVID. I didn't have anything else hot going on. And even though I don't consider myself an author, um, I decided to give it a shot and found it to be interesting. I learned a lot. I've had a great time with this adventure. Yes, I bet you did. How would you describe the prison business, Pam, as seen through the eyes of a female warden? It was challenging every day. I had, I had fun. Uh, people think that's an odd way to describe prison work, but it was an endless series of puzzles to solve, interesting people, both staff and offenders, um, and every day was different. So I really loved the work. And when you say puzzles to solve, what kind of puzzles? Well, when you work with people, there are always are issues and problems. And so <laughs> sometimes the puzzle was, how do we manage to organize things so that people can get fed and at the same time have recreation uh, time? Sometimes it was puzzles like someone's committed, a staff person has committed a pretty serious offense, but they've always been a good employee. Do we keep them or do we have to let them go? Okay. Wow, that sounds so interesting. I can't even imagine it. It's just, I only know it from TV, luckily. <laughs> How long did it take you to write this book? Well, Madam Warden was written rather quickly because the material was actually mostly available from Welfare to Warden. So okay. part of my journey was finding out that an autobiography is generally chronological um, and 
uh, memoir is topical. So I took the information that was already in Welfare to Warden, which took almost a year to write and get edited and, and ready to put on the shelf, so to speak. Um, and then reformatted the material into chapters okay. that talk about the people that I knew in prison that I worked with, the prisoners that I knew, uh, a, a bit about one particular prisoner that took his chance to be a different person really seriously. And I'm still in touch with that man. Um, so, so the chapters um, are not chronological. They just talk about various aspects of prison work. Okay, so they have like different themes they each do. chapter? Yes. Okay, how did you come up with the title? <laughs> well, I made it a contest. <laughs> I asked family and friends to help me come up with a title and told them that whoever came up with the best one would get a book hot off the presses. And the daughter-in-law of one of my dearest friends in the prison business said, well, I think it should be Madam Warden. <laughs> and so it was. <laughs> and you went with it. I like the title. <laughs> what was the biggest challenge in writing Madam Warden? Um, well, I suppose the biggest challenge was that I wanted to get it done before the end of uh, 2022. And so I really worked hard to get that to meet that timeline and my editor was willing to work with me and we got it done did you work on it every day and if so how many hours approximately I worked on it most days most. and I would work on it in about two hour increments because I'm getting to be an older person and I find that after two hours my attention just doesn't stick anymore. So I'd work for a couple hours and then I'd knit or play with cats or to go for a walk mm -hmm. and then I'd sure. come back to it. Probably not more than about six hours in any given day though. Okay. How about the most gratifying part writing this memoir? Oh, the the best part has been going and doing book talks and oh. reconnecting sometimes with old friends. Sure. Uh, I mentioned this offender. Uh, he actually is now out of prison and we did a book talk together over oh. at Hope College. Oh, wow. and that cool. was just, that was just so much fun. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. So it's, it's been the selling of the book, which I didn't think I would like at all uh, turn has turned out to be the most fun. Yeah, it is fun connecting with your fans. Yes. Okay. How about any surprises, discoveries, or epiphanies while writing this book? Uh, I discovered that I enjoyed writing. I don't plan to write any more books, but I found that it, this was not work. It was actually pleasant. Uh, I looked forward to doing the work, and um, I, I don't think I had any real epiphanies because I've <laughs> I've done so much public speaking about the work of corrections because mm -hmm. I I think citizens need to know what they're paying for what what are you getting for your tax dollars so over the years I've done a lot of public speaking so I'm not sure I had any epiphanies but uh, I did have fun, have had fun and people are interested in this subject yes they they really are and it's fun to out and share the truth rather than what you see on TV. 
And after you're done sharing, what kind of feedback do you get? Uh, the feedback has been fun. The, the most gratifying one is that people sometimes say, well, you need to come out of retirement and go run the Department of Corrections. You've got some great ideas. <laughs> That's not going to happen. <laughs> I hope not. Would you go back? <laughs> I, no, 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 I got to retire at age 53, uh, 52 or three. And, oh, okay. and, um, I do not have any interest in returning. Okay. <laughs> what do you feel you did right in writing this book? Something that no one could have done it like you. In your case, it must be that you were one of few. I, I've never heard of a female warden. Uh, well, it was exciting to represent the group of women that were pioneers in, in the business of corrections, because when I started back in 1976, women in Michigan and state, uh, nationwide were just not working inside prisons, typically. And so I was a group of a, a part of a group of pioneers that our director, Perry Johnson, put together and he fast-tracked us, and he was determined that he was going to have a group of women who succeeded in his department. And we did. By the time I left, uh, almost a third of the uh, prisons were headed by women. So I one think that's a remarkable prisons. change. Yes. That's yes. remarkable. Yeah. And those numbers have continued to hold up. Our, our uh, Department of Corrections has had two women uh, as directors now, and, I, and the current director as a woman. So okay. I think that it's not just the prisons that are being run by women, it's the whole system. The whole system. Yeah. What a positive change for all it, of us. I find it refreshing because I think mm -hmm. that there's a lot of research that says that teams that have diversity, mm -hmm. not just male-female, but diversity in all uh, aspects are much stronger and uh, you get better outcomes. And I found that when I was working in prisons also. Yes. What would you have done differently? Um, in writing the book, I, I really went into it blind. I knew nothing about the processes. What I probably should have done was done more homework up front so I knew what I was getting myself into. Yeah, sometimes that's a challenge, right? <laughs> what is. have you learned about yourself from writing this book? Um, I learned that when I have a task in front of me, I'm willing to go ahead and work my way through it, even when it gets uh, hard. And I, I think I knew that about myself, but this uh, experience really cemented that for me. Yeah. What are some of the takeaways from Madam Warden? Well, I hope for the reader... Uh, one of the takeaways is that corrections is really a human being business, yes. but it's about people, the workers, the, the people that are locked up. Uh, it's, it's the brick and mortar that people think of when they think of a prison. And while we can't have prisons without having walls and fences and places for people to live, um, for prisons to be effective, we need good staff. And that is... A challenge right now because many people are not wanting to go into law enforcement generally and prisons specifically. Could you give us some tips on how to write a memoir? 
There's a lot of people out there in that big world who want to write a memoir. They just don't know how to go about it. Help us out. Well, uh, in in my case, I had the guidance of um, Mission Point Press and an excellent um, editor, Tanya, and she she gave me the some pretty firm directions. She said memoirs need to have lots of quotes. Memoirs have to have lots of good emotion. So you have to be willing to show emotion, which for a former prison warden is really tough. <laughs> I, I was not used to showing emotion and I tried to do that the, to the best of my ability. Um, and of, of course, I mentioned the issue of topicality. You have to figure out what, what are the topics that you want to write about and what period of time in your life are you going to write about? Because a memoir, unlike an autobiography that's from the beginning to, to right. the end, mm -hmm. what, where you are currently, uh, a memoir is a piece of your life. So what you have to say to yourself is, what piece of my life is it that I think I can write about and have other people be interested in? Uh, I was kind of lucky in that my my piece was the 25 years I spent in corrections. Okay. Um, and so I had a natural uh, kind of slice of life, so to speak. Uh, but that's those are the three things that I think are important when you're thinking about writing a memoir. Would you do it all over again, your corrections career and your writing? I absolutely would. I loved the work. I loved the people, even the even the inmates were fun and interesting some days. Some days they were pretty aggravating. Uh, and that goes for staff, too. I found most of the staff to be delightful, and a few of them I just, I would have liked to take them to the woodshed. So to speak. Um, but yes, I would definitely do the career again. And the, to my surprise, I would write those two books again. Um, Okay. But, but as I said, that's it. I'm that's done it. Books. No more books. <laughs> or, uh, no sequels, right? Right. <laughs> okay. What is the most interesting or bizarre thing that has ever happened to you during an in-person event? And you must have had tons of them as a speaker and now as an author. I mean. Well, the, the thing that has surprised me the most is people... Um, that I worked with in the prison business that I was pretty confident were not fans of Warden Withrow that show up to my book talks. Um, and that, <laughs> How does that make you feel when they show up? <laughs> well, it's it's just very interesting. And you would think if they were not fans of Warden Withrow, that when they come to the book talks, they would ask kind of snide questions or somehow try to put me on the spot and they don't they're absolutely delightful so that's the thing that has surprised me the most that a they'd show up and b that they're nice <laughs> that's really heartwarming i would yeah. not expect that either <laughs> it's it has been a surprise <laughs> okay would you like to read to us pam say again could you read to us your oh, yes, absolutely. So I have two short pieces to read, mm -hmm. uh, and one of them needs a little setup. So sure. um, those people who have lived in Michigan a long time may recall a series of murders that happened in the Ann Arbor area in the late 60s. 
And uh, these were college co-eds who were murdered. And John Norman Collins was eventually arrested and charged with one of those murders. He was only convicted of one, and he was sentenced to prison for life. Michigan and Canada have a reciprocal agreement that if Canadian citizens end up in our prisons and want to go to Canada and both countries agree, they can move to Canada. Okay. Well, John Norman Collins, who he's serving time under a different name, but he has um, dual citizenship and he was all set. He and his family gone through the process. He was all set to mm -hmm. go to Canada. Okay. And our director of prisons found out about it and stopped the process. Really? I was working at Jackson and I was the person who was sent to tell John Norman Collins that he wasn't going to Canada. So this is what happened. Okay. Uh, I said, I'm here to discuss your transfer to Canada. Norman's mask of affability shifted. When I went on, Michigan will not agree to that transfer. You will serve your sentence here. The look he gave me made it clear that absent the bars, he would have wrung my neck. I have never seen such naked and feral hatred in my life. I think I took an involuntary step back, even though I was safely beyond his reach. The one question I almost always get asked when I do talks about the book is, were you ever afraid in prison? And that's one of the few times I can remember being afraid and the, and the guy couldn't even get to me, but man, he was angry. The other piece is a little longer. Oh yeah, one. we have time. Okay. We have time. This one is about classification. So classification in prison is deciding where a person is going to live, what prison they're going to live in, and then what they're going to do while they're locked up. So this is about classification. As I neared retirement, an insight about prisoners surfaced. While formal prison classification systems often focus on a prisoner's dangerousness, length of sentence, need for academic or vocational training, substance abuse treatment programs, and mental and mental health treatment, I came to classify prisoners in a different way. In my experience, offenders can usually be thought of as sad, mad, or bad. By sad, I mean they might have cognitive deficits due to drug or alcohol use by their mother while pregnant, abuse as a child, head injuries, malnutrition or ingestion of lead or other environmental toxins. Sad because they were led into criminal activity by peers or older youth who took advantage of their need to belong. Sad because substance abuse led to criminal acts. Sad because they have no coping skills other than anger and violence. And sad because their untreated mental illness was a factor in their criminality. This group represents most of those who are incarcerated. Prisoners I call mad are aware that they drew the short straw in life. They see no way out of their impoverished and deprived situation other than through criminal activity. Often they are bright and capable, but they have no vision for a better life and often believe they are fated to die young. This group is small, but often presents problems for prison administrators because they foment discontent. The good news is that offenders in this group 
have the most potential for a fulfilled life when released if they elect to focus on self-change while incarcerated. And I mentioned earlier the young man um, who's now released from prison, and there's a whole chapter in the book about him. The bad group is small in numbers. I can recall a handful of prisoners, including Mr. Collins that I spoke of earlier, that I consider irredeemable. But life with no possibility of parole is a good approach that will keep people safe from these men who have no boundaries and no wish to conform to society's rules. Thank you, Pam. That was very interesting. Thank you. Also, can you tell us a little bit of your honorary doctorates for your institution of these cognitive improvement pro programs? Yes. Um, both Grand Valley State University and Ferris uh, University gave me honorary doctorates. And this was um, due to a large part because of the work that our prison did in cognitive restructuring and skill training. Cognitive restructuring is an approach that says how you think controls how you behave. Okay. So if you're going to change the behavior, you have to change the thinking. Okay. And prisoners were invited to uh, go through a three-phase process, phase one for anybody who wanted to do it, and that was where they were introduced to the concepts of self-change. Mm -hmm. Phase two was open only to offenders who were violent, and that was a commitment of two years to work in groups uh, and make a serious effort on, on changing their thinking. And the groups met three times a week, about eight men. The prisoners did the work. The staff were there to keep order and make sure everybody showed up. Sure. But the prisoners did the work themselves. And one prisoner would present a thinking report, and the other prisoners would ask him questions to help him clarify his thinking. And then the third phase was a maintenance phase. In phase two, they all lived together in one housing unit to support each other. In phase three, they went back to general population. And that was probably the hardest part because they had to continue to try to change while they were with other prisoners who hadn't committed to that change. And um, it, it, was, it was hard, it was definitely hard. I did a, um, some research that Grand Valley did on this program said that people in phases one and two both had reductions in disobeying a direct order misconducts. And that's really important because that's the misconduct that happens most frequently in all the prisons in the state. And then prisoners in phase two, the, the really focused self-change part of the program, also had statistically significant reductions in assault. And that, to me, as a warden, was really important because we don't want people hurting each other and staff. So um, I did a a little personal study not too long ago. And I just went and looked at all of the people that I knew of that had moved to phase three, which meant they'd completed all the parts of phase two and had done a relapse prevention plan and uh, were now working on, on uh, their new way of thinking in general population. And of, of all of the people I looked at, only five of them were still in prison or... Um, and one had returned to prison. The rest had been released and not reoffended. So I was pretty excited about that, looking at that. 
Yeah, you answered my question. I was going to ask you about the success rate of this, and that's a huge success rate. It, it is. It, it was really heartening to see that. Now, not there wasn't a large number of these guys. It was fewer than 20 that okay. had completed the program, mm -hmm. but it was a rigorous program. And the fact that we had that many complete, I was pretty excited about. Wow. Wow. I'm speechless. Bam. Congratulations on all of this. Yeah, that is amazing. All right. Can you announce the details of your book giveaway? Yes, indeed. Uh, the first person that writes to me about um, the 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 book, and I'm sorry, I forget the... Oh, the about the... <laughs> <laughs> who yeah. writes to you with the subject line podcast book giveaway yes we'll get a copy of they your get a, they get a copy of madam warden uh and i do need your address because i'll be mailing it to you so when you write to me include your address or when i come back and say you're the winner i'll need your address so that i can mail okay. the book to you okay and your email is p as in paul k w-i-t-h-r-o-w at outlook.com okay one more time he is in paul k-w-i-t-h-r-o-w at outlook.com okay and now parting shots from each one of us you first pam you're my guest <laughs> you left me speechless <laughs> <laughs> well i have very much enjoyed this uh, opportunity to talk about madam warden and i'd like to thank you for inviting me to do that uh this is my first po podcast so oh really uh, another new experience oh, that is as a cool. warden. Yes. <laughs> yes. you're so delightful wow okay my parting shots are write indie buy indie and read indie read your local newspapers for inspiration keep your fingers on the keyboard and your butt in the chair thank you for listening goodbye goodbye thank you